listener exclusive. I have a delicious secret. The Limestone Coast's Hidden Secrets. Limestone Coasters, it is time for another ep of the Limestone Coast Hidden Secrets, and I have been looking forward to this episode. I have got a bloke who is going to fascinate you, and maybe it's just me, because I'm a a nerd. In every sense of the word, I am a nerd. And a long time ago, I found out about a group called Kanawinka. Kanawinka is the name of an area here in Australia, and it's the volcanic region of Victoria and South Australia. And here in the Limestone Coast, where we have a lot of volcanoes, I get to talk about it. Ian Lewis is a geologist. He joins me for a chat. Ian, good morning. How are you and how are you going? Nice to be here. Sensational, mate. Now, Ian, we have a very famous volcano. Uh, From what I understand, it is a dormant volcano, but we've decided to live on the side of it. What can you tell me? Uh, well, uh, here I am. I'm a geologist and I live right on the side of it, up on the top there. And uh, if that isn't a statement, that uh, I don't know what is. <laughs> I, I'm feeling confident. <laughs> Tell me about our volcano. Well, you're right. Um, we have hundreds of volcanoes in Australia, but a lot of people don't know that. But without a doubt, the Blue Lake is the most famous volcano on the whole of the continent. If you asked anybody who even had a vague idea of volcanoes, they wouldn't be able to name other ones around the country very much, but the Blue Lake is just spectacular. It's a it what? volcanic crater. And we walk around it and drive around it, and it's just absolutely beautiful. The thing that blows me away is that we have the whole Valley Lakes precinct, and it's literally with walk in, within walking distance of town. We've got walking trails around it. People walk around four or five craters in this fabulous place with beautiful views. So explain... Explain our volcano for us and and the fact that there are so many craters and stuff. Well, I'll use a little bit of geology, but I'll keep it pretty basic. Um, When we look across the region around Mount Gambier and over towards Millicent, um, particularly, and over the border a bit and so on, we're in this flat limestone country, uh, which was laid down by the seafloor a long time ago. That's Mm. another story. But in that limestone, there are several very large fault lines. And a fault line is a break in the rock that goes way, way down to the mantle. We've got three of them. One of them is called the Tartwalk Fault Line, and it runs through the city of Mount Gambier and the volcano all the way up to Mount Burr and Mount Muirhead. So all of the volcanoes between us and the volcanoes behind Millicent are all along the same great fault line. And the reason why I say that is a fracture in a fault line that goes down to the mantle is the pathway for the lava to come up. So volcanoes come up fault lines. You mentioned Kanawinka. That's another huge fault line, and that runs from Narracourt down to Portland. But it's a different type of fault line and does not have volcanoes on it. There you go. Now, you did say that there's three fault lines. Tell me about the third. Ah, uh, yes. The third one is the one that it runs in a line from the Glenelg River near Donovan's through Mount Shank, which is our other volcano here in this close region, and then out across towards Kongarong to north, in the northwest direction. And when you follow that fault line, we've got Mount Shank volcano and a whole lot of the huge limestone sinkholes that the divers dive in, and they're all along the same fault line, and that's called the Nelson Fault Line. We are going to talk about sinkholes later on, uh, I right think. Yeah. We might. We'll see how we go. <laughs> so... Tell me about our volcano and its eruption and, and how we've got the, the outlook that we do of the Valley Lakes these days. 
Well, it would have been a time when there was no volcano here. Uh, we do know that the Mount Burr volcanoes, which are rounder with less, they don't have big craters in the same way that the Blue Lake is. They are much older. So they were here first. Then there was a long period of time and this land around here where Mount Gambier is would have been flat limestone land with beautiful forest on it with the Bowendick people living all across here. Then about 5,000 years ago and probably a bit, a bit earlier than that, uh, there was a period of time when lava started forcing its way up through the Tartwalk fault line. And uh, in the first instance, it came up and just oozed up and laid out on the plain. So lava came oozing out of a big fracture in the ground and started running sideways and laying out. And we can see that lava and in layers sitting on top of the limestone. You can see it in the walls of the Blue Lake and you can see it in parts of the city where we dig holes and put roads and sewerage trenches and things like that. So there was a lava flow period and everything was quiet. Then because that hot lava was all down there slowly coming up and, and so on, the, there came a time when the hot lava met all of the beautiful fresh groundwater we have which is stored in all of our limestone and the, and you have these two geological things together the limestone is like a gigantic sponge it's been raining here for hundreds of thousands of years and all the fresh water soaks in the limestone and sits there until hot lava comes and then all hell breaks loose <laughs> all of a sudden we've got a, a uh, an explosion all exactly. of a sudden we've got these these gigantic holes in the earth and, uh, and that is how we, we come to see the Valley Lakes today. That's right. Well, um, when they show their little um, vignette about the volcanoes on the project recently, yeah. Heather Handley, who's a good friend of mine and an expert volcanologist, um, was explaining about the contact between hot lava and cool groundwater, and it becomes explosive. And so that's changed the flowing lava on the ground into vast explosions and in Mount Gambier in our volcano there are at least eight of these in a sequence of different sizes. Um, a big one would blow up and then a whole lot of ash would pile up then another one a little bit later would blow up and destroy that one or half of that one and then another one, little one here or there and so on as the pressure backed off a bit and then another big one and so on. So we these eight eruptions or so we've got maybe eight or tw ten or something like that uh, took place one over the other. Uh, each one, as they got bigger, blew away the remains of the other one. So we can have a look. When we walk around the walking track around Mount Gambier, uh, the mountain where the tower is mm -hmm. is part of a much older part, and the mountain part where uh, Potter's Point is is part of an older part, and the Valley Lake blew them apart, so it's replaced them, and then uh, and so on and so on until we got to the Blue Lake, which was... Two gigantic blasts, and they were the last ones. And uh, because they were the last ones, that's why the Blue Lake has still got those beautiful sheer walls, and we can see the whole crater. It hasn't been worn away by anything else. Now, Ian, in our Valley Lakes precinct, as a geologist, what are some of the things that we might not necessarily notice as we go about our daily business of enjoying the lakes? Look, you're quite right. Um, I was down at the Valley Lake um, only a, a week or two ago and I waited there till the afternoon sun was shining because you can stand where the boats launch on Valley Lake and look across the lake towards the city and uh, below the, the big walls where the old hospital used to be. Yeah. And when you look at the walls, you see a, a white wall at the water level. 
and that's limestone. It's a limestone cliff on the other side of the lake. But it only goes up about 10 or 20 metres and then it changes colour and the vegetation uh, takes over. And what we're seeing is the that wall is the wall of the hole of the limestone that was blown up when the Valley Lake blew up. And, uh, and what we're looking at is the height of the normal land, the limestone, before a volcano piled all the ash on top. So that's one place that I look at. And if you look your, uh, run your eyes around the, a bit further around the valley lake, a little bit higher than that on the eastern walls, you can see the brown twisted rock, and that's the lava that flowed out, as I was describing before. Absolutely amazing. And Ian, you might know because I don't, um, I watch a lot of old photos that come up on social media of the Valley Lakes precinct. And I, I take a look at the, the rise and fall of the Valley Lake and, and it horrifies me that people aren't up in arms that our, that our lakes seem to be dropping. Um, why is this an issue and, and why, why does it happen in our area? Is it, is it something to do with geology? Well, you have opened a hydrogeological can of worms here. <laughs> And you've asked the right guy because uh, some of the information I'm about to give you is not always understood by a lot of people studying these things. Uh, because like you, I've had a look at a lot of those beautiful photographs from around about 1900, mm. taken in black and white, where we had uh, water in the Lega Mutton Lake yes. and water in the Browns Lake. Yes. And uh, I, as a kid, I grew up on the side of the mountain. Our family lived there and we ran around Browns Lake when it was a, when it was a lake in the late 50s and 1960s. So the water level's been going down for 50 or 60 years. And everyone assumes that it's humans that have caused the problem. Um, so for such reasons as saying, well, look, we cleared the land of all the forests, we've planted all these pine forests and they're very thirsty trees that don't belong here. Uh, we've cut drains to drain the fresh water to the sea so we can have farmland and so on and so on. Um, but it's very interesting that when you go to the uh, up to the top of the Blue Lake where the where the coffee shop used to be and where the Blue Lake tours mm -hmm. start, there are several panels on the wall with diagrams, and one is very interesting, and it is a graph of the heights of the Blue Lake starting from 1880, and they measured it. Yeah. And next to that graph, on top of it, is a graph of the rainfall since 1880, and when you look at the two graphs. They start in the 1880s and the lake level rises to about 1900 and the rainfall is higher about 1900 and then for about 30 or 40 years there's higher rainfall and higher lake levels and then from about World War II, about the 1940s, the rain gets less and the lake level gets less and they are in track with each other. And that tells us that the rainfall's been systematically reducing since about the 1940s, almost exactly the same way that the groundwater level has. How fascinating. See, I never knew that. No, that's right. And uh, there's uh, two more things to say about this. This suggests that if the groundwater level in our spongy limestone is going up and down the same way as the rainfall was, then maybe all the activities on the surface of the land aren't having the huge impact that a lot of people, environmental people and so on, have been concerned about. That's not to say that we've got to look after the land. We've got to be careful with it and there's, and there's a lot more things we can do to improve it and so on. 
from the days of clearing forests and so on. But uh, basically, it may well be the rainfall pattern that governs the water level in our land. And the other thing is that those graphs start in 1880 because that's when records started. Mm. But I've had a look at old records from farms around the place, from farm journals, and there are watercolours done by the early explorers in the 1840s that show that the lake levels and the water level most likely in about 1840, when Europeans first arrived, was about the same as it is today. And that means it was rising up till 1900 and then coming back down again. So we may be seeing a 200-year cycle of rainfall and water level that people never suspected. And no one's, no one's thought of going back in the records before 1880 to try and work out what was the water like before official records started. And that's one of the research projects that I do. Ian, you have blown my mind. Absolutely blown my mind. Um, and it brings up an interesting point, and we, we are getting so far off topic, it's not funny, but um, they tell me that the the passage of water for the water table between, for sake of argument, when it rains and, and it gets into the Valley Lakes is something like 50,000 years. There's all sorts of wild estimates. I've heard one of 500 years, one of 50,000 years. Uh, there's various ways of measuring the age of water and so on, uh, but I think... Uh, it's probably a bit too broad to give a single figure. For example, when it rains at Narracourt or Border Town, the water goes in the limestone, but it's got to come 200 kilometres down to the coast. Mm. If it rains at Mount Gambia, that's much closer to the coast. So it's a bit hard to say. Um, I think basically we can talk about the time that the water's sitting in the limestone or in the sponge of a maybe a couple of thousand years, and it's slowly trickling out towards sea at places like Piccaninny Ponds and Ewan's Ponds and a lot of those springs that are along the coast. So there's an awful lot of water under the land here and a little bit just dribbling out at the end, and it just takes its time. Now, tell me more about volcanoes, Ian. Um, we've got a volcano down towards Port Mac, uh, Mount Shank. Tell me about that one. Oh, that's Mount Shank. Okay, so... Uh, I did some research with two other scientists about 10 years ago. Um, I was particularly interested in sinkholes, so I was diving in the big sinkholes out down there, looking at the shape of the walls and the fracture lines and the geology of underwater giant sinkholes. And I was talking to two other friends of mine who were looking a little bit at that and looking at Mount Shank. And then one of the, well, really our discussions, we realised they're all on the same line. Then that's what I mentioned, this thing called the Nelson Fault Line. So at some time, um, lava pressure built up at the bottom of the Nelson Fault Line and erupted in Mount Shank. And there's two craters in Mount Shank, a small one to the south and then a much bigger one, which is the one we walk around, which is so beautifully preserved because it's a, only fairly recent and it hasn't eroded yet and it's got that beautiful sharp edge. And Look, it's a volcano's volcano, Ewan. Ian... What other geological features in the limestone coast, and even just over the border, are actually volcanoes? Because as the project article highlighted, and we mentioned that earlier in our talk, there are something like 400 volcanoes in Australia, and I can probably guarantee that most people haven't got a clue. Well, there's about 400 volcanoes between about, say, Ballarat and here in Mount Gambier. Wow. Uh, scattered all the way across the Western Victorian Plain. If you drive from Mount Gambier to Melbourne or Melbourne to 
Ballarat um, area, um, not as far as the Grampians and so on, perhaps towards Warrnambool, you've got volcanoes popping up all over the place. They're not the only volcanoes in Australia. There's a great number of them in, uh, in the mountain chain in Queensland. They're much older. There's some with some really big craters and lakes in them, but they're not, they don't look the same as ours down here, and ours are much newer. Uh, so one of the explanations for the 400 volcanoes across Western Victoria <clears throat> used to be that we know that the continent of Australia is moving very, very slowly on the Australian plate and it's actually heading northwards into the Pacific. It's sort of, uh, uh, New Guinea is the front end of it, which is being bulldozed up into mountains in, in New Guinea and we're at the back end. One of the explanations is that as the continent's moving along, it's going over a hot spot <clears throat> where there's a lot of lava and, and, and a lot of heat in the Earth's mantle and a thin crust, and that every time the continent moves along a bit and a fault line goes over the hot spot, up comes the eruptions. Uh, that's not a bad explanation for 400 volcanoes across Western Victoria because one of the things that the volcanologists have found is that the ones that are at the Ballarat end... Um, and around Skipton and uh, around Colac, generally speaking, are older and the ones towards our end are younger. And that says that the volcanoes are popping up slowly, starting around Ballarat and then coming westwards, they're getting younger and younger and newer and newer until our Blue Lake one. So tell me, Ian, you live on the side of a volcano, quite literally. Yeah. <laughs> I live a little bit further away. I love it. Um, I have said in the past to a couple of friends that I would like to see our volcano give out a little puff of smoke, just to just to let everybody know that it's there. But do are we are we ever going to see an eruption? Well, a lot of people ask this question, and there are a lot of different answers. But using the explanation I just gave to you, the the most common expectation amongst volcanologists is that a there will be another eruption at some time. B, they seem to be about, on a very rough average, about 10,000 years apart. That's very rough, which means, because our volcano is 5,000 years old, we may have another 5,000 years to wait. It's a long wait. Uh, it's a long <laughs> wait. Uh, but because the newer, the volcanoes seem to be erupting progressively westwards, we are thinking that the next one will be to the west of Mount Gambier somewhere. Now, whether that means under the plain at um, you know, Congarong or Beachport or whatever, uh, we can't tell. But we do know one really interesting piece of information, and that was when people were looking for oil and gas and drilling for that offshore in the 1960s in Bass Strait and in, off our coastline, geologists found an anomaly in the seafloor off Beachport. And the anomaly was three lumps of rock, big tongues of rock, which did not, were not seafloor rocks. And the, the uh, expectation was that they are tongues of lava flowing in the seafloor several, about 20, 20 kilometres off Beachport under the sea. Now we do know also in local history, we're talking about local history before, mm. in 1897 there was a really huge earthquake in the southeast. Yes, it, it was took so place at big. Beachport. Exactly, and yeah, it was yeah. felt in Melbourne and Adelaide, and it uh, knocked trees over and uh, chimneys over and so on. Uh, there's a, a building in Narracourt with a beam that's bent from it and so on like that. It was a it was the biggest earthquake on South Australia's uh, record that we got in terms. It's of one of the biggest magnitude. in the world, isn't it? 
No, 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 no. They're much bigger than, some of them are much yeah, bigger no. than us. But ours is a, a sizable one. Um, and so one of the, putting putting the geology together, it may, one, one thought is that the epicentre of that earthquake may have been offshore from Beachport. Because we didn't have seismographs then, but mm. you can do some science to take a bit of an estimate. So the three tongues of lava on the seafloor may have squeezed out uh, because of that earthquake. And therefore, this long answer for you is that seems to be a possible site for the next eruption. We might see an island off Beachport. We might see an island off Beachport. And that's fascinating. Seafront property. <laughs> uh, fascinating to say that because Mount Burr and those volcanoes were once islands. Um, they've got the land around them now, but um, at a time when sea levels were higher and the land was lower, they were volcanic islands themselves. So we've already got a precedent. So there might be Mount Beachport somewhere out to sea. And you have, Island. you have blown my mind. We haven't even talked about sinkholes. We haven't <laughs> talked about caves. I have to ask, will you come back and talk to us another day? Uh, well, I've got a lot of volcanoes to look at, but uh, I'll squeeze it in. Yeah, All right. absolutely. Ian, great to talk to you this morning. Thank you so much for telling us about some of the geology of the Limestone Coast. It's a fascinating place, and um, Auntie Penny, the Aboriginal elder, in one of the ab elders in the Bowendick people said, this is a land of mystery, and I, I think that's a great way to describe it, but knowing about what's happening under the land helps understand some of the mysteries, but I don't think it takes the mystery away. Listener.